Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for listening to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony, and I'm just so excited to introduce you to our guest this week, Caitlin Rose Hulls Apple. She is an incredible woman with an amazing story. We're going to be talking about her journey uh, using yoga to heal herself of PTSD after she was sexually assaulted. So there is some discussion in this podcast today about trauma and healing trauma, um, as well as a little bit about sexual assault or sexual trauma. And so if you're sensitive to these topics and issues, uh, just take care and be forewarned uh, that we are discussing what happened to Caitlin a little bit and also how she came to use yoga to help her heal Um, and now how she is using somatic yoga therapy to help others heal and integrate their own uh, experiences of trauma in different ways whether uh, sexual assault or just past traumas minor traumas micro traumas to major traumas um, we're talking about everything as well as um, how healing can then lead to a greater connection with pleasure with sensuality with um, being present um, so yeah it's a really very very deep and broad discussion uh, we're going in all different types of directions here looking at the shadow side of ourselves um, not running away from that dark side but uh, checking out how we can Um, get to know it or face it and move through it and step into the light come come back into the light so uh yeah I I think you're really gonna enjoy this one it's definitely a different one and Caitlin um is someone that I just met on this podcast. This was our first conversation ever. Same with Russell. Uh, So you're getting everything just really hot off the press, really raw and real. And we're getting to know her at the same time that you're getting to know her as well. So it was an exciting conversation. We had a lot of fun. And I just want to remind you that if you haven't joined yet, I am starting my five-day ancient breathing challenge. We're starting this week, Thursday, September 8th. You can catch all of the replays of the lessons inside the Facebook group, or I will also be emailing out links to the replays jump into the challenge. It's going to be incredible. We're going to be looking at how you can use breath work to increase your uh, quality of sleep, how to reduce anxiety, how to manage stress, how to increase your energy, how to live your most vibrant life and connect to that infinite well of energy within to create more health, more ease, more mental calmness and clarity and focus so that you can also be more productive, get more done in less time without feeling that mental fog or overwhelm, feeling like, you know, you have no time and and irritable and freaking out because, you know, you haven't stopped to take a moment to breathe. So join me coming up this week, 
from September 8th to the 12th, take a moment to breathe with me. And if it's not live, at least watch the replay and connect to your breath. These are simple exercises. They're good for brand new practitioners, brand new beginners, and excellent um, reminders and just reconnection. Even if you have a pranayama practice or have been practicing breath work before, um, this is just a new way to look at it and integrate it into your day and life. So you can find all the details in the show notes. Head on over to the show notes, either on my website, harmonyslater.com. Just check it out under podcast, or you can find it also in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast, wherever you're streaming it from. So I look forward to seeing you in the challenge and connecting with everybody uh, by video, by Facebook Live, or on Zoom. And I just can't wait. It's going to be an excellent weekend of breathing, and I'm contemplating an after party. So let's see what happens. Uh, We'll see how the five days goes. But that's my announcement for this week, and I don't want you to miss this wonderful, wonderful connection and conversation with Caitlin. So let's just jump right in there. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm here today with Russell Case. I am so excited today. Do you know what happened? What? We were approached by an agent. I feel like we I get approached by them all the time. I feel like we we've hit the big time though. <laughs> I, I don't know if we're like magically way up on the on the Apple iTunes board, but like agents are coming to us now for people to get on the show. They recommend people all the time. But oh, what's really interesting and exciting about today yeah. is we are meeting with someone for the first time because i never accept or have taken anyone up on this invitation until today you know when my mom was dealing (laughs) drugs back in the 70s she also said never never sell to anyone that you don't know that's right and that's how she got busted if she sold to somebody she didn't know mom if you're listening (laughs) edit that out mom But today, we're meeting with a lovely woman, very special person, Caitlin Rose Holzapple. Hi, Caitlin. How are you? Hi. I'm, I'm honored to be your first stranger yes. on the show. You might, you might be the only one we ever you have might, on the show. You well. could be the last. That's we don't know. I'm sure. Yeah. That's special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's great. No, we we just I read your your bio and like some things about your experience and your life and I was like this girl's cool. She's got some serious things going on. She, Let's interview her. She is a woman. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I think I think she's like quite a bit younger than me. So I could say girl maybe. Really? Maybe. <laughs> She looks a to, lot younger anyway. You you ladies have to lift each other up. That's true. I did than, say woman than infantilizing each other all the time. And but break like we also down. say like stuff like you go girl and that's like super Oh, positive. I guess that is empowering. Yeah. yeah. All right. I wasn't meaning it in like a girly girl sense. All right. Like, all right. Fair yeah. enough. I just think it's something we have to kind of be wise to. Work on? Oh, sure. Would you ever say like you go boy? No. <laughs> Why? Yeah, that is that is strange, huh? 
I will. The, the most infantilizing thing that we do to each other is the kind of bro talk. It's like, dude, what the fuck? You know, uh, it's like yeah. we all just sound like children talking to each other. Yeah, that can happen. It does happen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should introduce our guest to. Yeah. We have one listener. Her name is Martha from Florida. <laughs> and uh, she loves the show. Uh, we also have, uh, I mean, Valerie is the Finding Harmony podcast fan club fan president club president and founder but she doesn't really she doesn't really listen to the show as much as martha does i think they both listen quite regularly actually but we should introduce we have many other listeners too i think people are going to start to feel jealous that you're not mentioning them all there's, the time honestly there's a whole swedish contingent that listen to the show devoted <laughs> You're an intuitive healer who teaches yoga, offers classes, workshops, retreats, and trainings in yoga therapy. And that's something that you've been into for a while, helping people who suffer with anxiety, PTSD, and depression. And you're a trauma-informed yoga therapist with a specialty in helping individuals who've experienced sexual trauma or emotional trauma. And mental health imbalances, which is very unique and very specialized. And yeah, we just want to talk to you about your experiences and how what brought you into this field of yoga. Yeah, cool. I'd love to to dive in and um, well to rewind for a little bit of backstory. My dad is a yogi, and I have two brothers, and he kind of infused meditation and. Uh, yoga into our lives from a pretty young age so I had that kind of foundation though my younger self wasn't super into it until (laughs) a little bit later but in in my teenage years especially I was struggling a lot with mental health depression anxiety um, and just a real like deep resistance to getting any help for it Mm -hmm. I think part of that was the stigma and part of it was just parts of my personality that felt kind of ashamed or hidden or Mm -hmm. um, just not fully developed and even being able to understand that there was an issue going on just kind of felt like this is just a part of life this is just how things are and when I turned 18 19 that's when I did my yoga teacher training Mm -hmm. and had what I call my first in my body experience, because I was really dissociated, really checked out. Um, probably since this an early childhood experience I had of uh, sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yoga was just the it felt like magic to me that first it was a restorative or yin yoga class at Kripalu in Massachusetts. I don't uh, know if you've heard of them. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, that's where I did my 200 hour. And it felt like I was just like floating so relaxed so peaceful and also just so connected with myself for the first time in a very 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 long time first time that I could actually cognitively remember Mm -hmm. and that really sparked something in me I was like oh my gosh like I don't have to feel the way that I've been feeling for so long Mm -hmm. and it brings even like tears to my eyes right now because it was such a catalytic moment, such a powerful moment. And really, I feel like speaks to the deep power that yoga has in returning our spirits to our bodies and mm-hmm. helping us drop in and connect more to the physical realm of ourselves. And that's absolutely what happened for me. So it was really that moment that 
sparked a little bit more of my soul fire and mm-hmm. had me feeling more and more thirsty to understand, to experience, to grow, to know what was happening, what was going on. And so I completed my training. I switched universities to go to Naropa University, which has oh, you went to a Naropa. degree. Yeah. yeah in Colorado. Like, yep, in Boulder. Yeah. Yeah. And I did my bachelor's in yoga. I just like went all in. I got my yoga <laughs> therapy certification. And um, through this process and also during it, I was just kind of confronting also a lot of shadow, a lot of trauma. And mm-hmm. yoga has been such a great tool for integrating that and adding on the intelligence, the wisdom of somatics and that entire field of somatic therapy, somatic mm-hmm. movement practices really helped me start to alchemize and digest these life experiences that I've had. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just like that fire lit. And now I look, that was like 10 years ago and I'm, yeah, it just feels like everything's really been this like soul fire alignment since then. And now it's it's also a deep part of the work I do and the service that I give back because that's a huge part of, who I am is I think through my life experiences, I just learn, I grow, I uncover so much and it feels like a need in me to give that back, to share it, to, to pass that forward. And Mm. so it's become a huge part of my, my work, my karmic offerings. And yeah. And something, something that like really, um, you know, sparked, an interest um, in speaking with you is you talk quite openly and freely about your experience being raped and how that brought up this memory of um, sexual trauma as a child. And you were already on your yoga path at this time, weren't you? I was. I was already doing trauma integration work. And mm-hmm. yeah, then I was sexually assaulted in Costa Rica. And- had just this like horrific experience, really, really painful, heavy, contractive experience. I developed PTSD and just went through like deep, intense contractions, which is what trauma does to the nervous system. It just creates a lot of contraction, a lot of pulling inward, a lot of mm-hmm. hiding, a lot of, you know, all of the, the like cascade of the trauma response. And I think One thing that's kind of unique about me, I I don't think this is super common, but maybe it's because I was already launched in this path, but I didn't hide from it. I went to work immediately. (laughs) And I think that's, it's interesting because I've worked a lot with survivors and a common story is to, you know, to come and work on it 10 years later or, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. down the line after, after a long period of kind of repression, moving away from it. But I think because the phase of life I was in, I was already doing so much emotional alchemy work and expansive Mm -hmm. work that it didn't even feel like an option to avoid it. It was like, all right, this is here now. This fucking sucks. I hate it. And I'm going to work with it. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say I didn't definitely enter that victim mode and cry to the heavens, why me? Mm-hmm. But I haven't really, and I, I don't really have the personality to let that stop me from accessing my truth and the truth of who I know that I am and the life that I'm meant to live. And I really see this and a lot of indigenous traditions will teach that these 
traumatic experiences are initiations and that's how it's really felt for me it's felt like Mm -hmm. such a deep initiation into more expansion than i've ever felt and that i don't i don't see how i would have grown and expanded so much without those experiences in such a like really really quick amount of time it's not to say that you need to have a trauma in order to grow and expand but there was something about that happening that was just like I just feel like everything really opened up and through healing, of course, yes, started of course. to like excavate and purge some of the early childhood stuff that had been repressed that I didn't have memories of being um, sexually abused as a child until I was working through this adulthood trauma and mm-hmm. <sighs> really, really heavy, really, really hard. So much like pain and density in my body had been holding from those experiences of course and you know still really influenced me in deep ways and and I I know not everybody looks at trauma this way and I wouldn't expect any survivors to but I I do see the gift in it and I do feel the gratitude for it that's like the phase that I'm in which Mm -hmm. feels it feels like an empowering space to be in in relationship with the shit of, of life yeah 100 percent. you know yeah. it's it's uh it's super intriguing um er, early on in our podcast we had we had my mom on the show to talk about a very kind of similar experience that that she had had and i mean i mean being sexually assaulted has got to be one of the most common experiences for women but um when i was uh four maybe five, we had an intruder in the house and um, tied up my dad and raped my mom while I was in the house. And um, she talked about, there's so many things that you mentioned that she, that she talked about, that contraction of withdrawing in, of stiffening. And like you said, you know, taking maybe 10, 20, 30 years later to kind of work on how much that impacted her personality and her way of interacting with other people. You know, I think she was probably much more prone to violence um, than she was before. Or like, um, like uh, outbursts. Yeah. And anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because of like the PTSD, basically. Yeah, exactly. And and yet she also had one of these kind of very healing experiences, um, not like an ayahuasca experience, but very similar with MDMA. That was like a fine a, a way of breaking through that ice that that those um, those barriers that she had created. And she said it was. I didn't even remember that I hadn't been feeling joy. And suddenly I was, oh, I'm, I can feel joy again. And this is, I had to kind of break through the door a little bit, but this is what it feels like. And this is how to find it again. Yeah. I'm so happy that you bring that up because MGMA is so transformative for trauma healing. That's been a, a big tool for me in this experience. And also, a actually big informer for the somatic yoga therapy process that I've developed because I, from my experience, my research, my knowledge about MGMA and a lot of plant medicines, but MGMA in particular for traumas is that it helps reconnect you with your body and 
your body starts to just process and discharge all of mm. the stuck contraction in the tissues that have been blocking you from your joy and from you know these expansive life experiences that after a trauma your nervous system's like ooh it's not safe to be expansive it's not safe to be in my power it's not safe to be happy it's not a conscious choice right but then we have so many people so many women who have experienced sexual traumas from really really subtle to full on rapes or ongoing sexual abuse and I, I feel like there's a lot of women who don't even fully realize how much that's impacting them and you know I see it cutting us off from our actual like the source of our feminine energy and our feminine power which mm. is rooted in in the womb space and our sexuality and so I am so happy your mom had that experience and really believe in in for certain people, the use of plant medicines and MDMA in particular for integrating and digesting these wounds because they're deep, it's painful, and we all need some some support. I think in the yoga community, which is a big background that I come from, and it, it sounds like the both of you as well, um, there can be a little bit of a stigma that I found around using different plant medicines or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, not wanting to rely on those tools for your healing, right. which I understand. And sometimes we need that extra support, especially in like a safe, contained, held space with a guide to help you go to places that you just like your nervous system is not going to let you go there in your mm-hmm. normal conscious state. Yeah. yeah, it's something interesting, like even Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras talks about the medicinal plants being of use for bringing about states of samadhi, which is like the full integration and the, you know, balance of the mind, which is the balance of the nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't have a balanced mind if, without having a balanced nervous system. So this deep healing work, you know, and healing from past traumas and and recognizing also, like you're saying, the heaviness or the dark sort of spaces within ourselves is really, really important for for transformation. Ultimately, it's with we can't really transform ourselves if we're not willing to step into that darkness or step into those areas of our mind that we're not really um, so excited about looking at. Mm. And shedding a little awareness or light into them and exploring like what we're holding on to or, you know, what's haunting us that we're not thinking about. And then and being able to, like you say, release it or move through it or forgive it, but like use these healing tools that you're talking about to really um, step out of that space of being a victim and step into that more empowered space of being a creator and looking at at how this can be used to um, work for you in a sense, mm-hmm. right? How it's for your growth or for your transformation. And that, of course, is not some, it's a place you get to easily. It's not a place that is immediately available. But I guess, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the ultimate goal is that that is the space that you're going to step into is letting go or or at least owning the experience so that you can then, you know, move into a new relationship with it where, you know, it becomes something that's helping you, you know, transform or lead or help others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to do shadow work because it's, 
really sticky in the shadows. It's hard, you know, if you don't have a guide, it's really easy to get stuck there. If you yeah. go to, like that's, I, I see it so much when I work with people, like, I don't want to go toward that. Like, why can't we just go toward like, just the, the things that I want, the things that feel good. I don't want to go toward the like sticky, dark, heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's because for the most part, what I hear again and again is like, I don't trust that that's ever going to end. If I go there, I don't trust that I'm ever going to get out of it. I feel like I'm going to be stuck in that forever, right? That's the feeling. And so part of the work is like, and this is when a guide is really needed. Can we go toward that? Give yourself the experience of it without the judgment and the shame. Mm Because a lot, there's so much shame around those like shadows in ourselves. Let yourself experience and also let it move through you so that you can see and know and feel that it doesn't have to last forever, that you don't have to get stuck there, that it's just another part of being alive. And that when you go there, you're also expanding your capacity to experience more of the joy and the light. Mm -hmm. And on the, on the other hand, some people come in and they're really stuck in the shadows and we actually need to get their system a little bit more in the opposite way. So it's, all about like finding the most the movement because that's the sign of life is that you're able to flow through the shadow to the light you're not stuck over here in this kind of spiritual bypassy zone you're not stuck over here in depression negativity the trauma response but you have mobility you can move you can flow through it all and within that movement there's a centeredness and a stillness and a stability of your soul of your essence of the god self whatever you want to call it that's rooted even in the fluctuations and changes of being human and being alive. Mm, I love that, like tapping in or connecting to the seer, right? So that true self or that that space that's beyond our human experience or the God within. I don't know. There's lots of ways to explain it, but it's unchanging and untouched by these experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what can be really painful for sexual trauma survivors especially is that sometimes it can feel like from that experience you're being cut off from that source Mm -hmm. that power it can feel like a big grief a big loss like you're losing a part of yourself losing a part of that you know connection to god and the divine because of trauma because it causes a lot of questioning like if god is real then why is this happening to me like if god is love why am i having this experience that's so the opposite of that Mm-hmm. So it can bring up a lot of questioning and mm-hmm. being able to reconnect and root into that space is so powerful and so healing. It's so interesting to to hear you uh, talk this way as a professional therapist. It's um, it's so very different from, say, the world that Harmony and I grew up in in the in the 80s, um, coming of age in the 90s, where if you wanted to do this kind of healing work, you were kind of left in like an industrial warehouse in Chicago doing a bunch of LS, you know, a bunch of LSD, <laughs> you know, and, and you, you didn't have access to a, a therapist who was able to, to speak this way coherently and with the structure uh, around you. It's, it's struck me that um, I had a friend who was at uh, the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology in San Francisco, which is kind of a, a similar school to Naropa, um, where they're doing that kind of, um, I think it's Hakomi work, where you're doing like this somatic therapy work, where I wonder if you can talk to us about that transition 
um, in therapy from say just talk therapy, which is sometimes re-traumatizing, to this this inclination towards somatic therapy, where people are suggesting modalities of of uh, healing uh, work, like yoga or breathing, and that that seems like it's in, in a very kind of subtle way, like an extraordinarily transformative uh, event that's happening in our culture. Mm, totally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not a psychotherapist, but I'll speak to it because I am my partner's in school for psychotherapy and I have all being a Naropa person, Naropa, and I know, and I'm in a lot of psychotherapy circles, but <laughs> you. Um, the, the therapeutic process that I do is somatic yoga therapy, which is not really about talking too much at all. I mean, mm-hmm. the talking does happen, but it's definitely more process oriented, experience oriented, which is just a different phase of healing, right? So mm-hmm. there's kind of three different phases we can look at with, within the healing spiral, right? And it's a spiral, not a line. So you can kind of bounce back and forth between them. You can be in multiple at, at the same time. But the first one is all about like stabilization. So this is putting any fires out and just literally like feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm okay right now. Things like the house isn't on fire. There's no threats around. So for some people, this might include, you know, using a hotline, going to those crisis, crisis or victim support agencies, like really just getting those like fundamental survival needs met. Mm-hmm. That's the first stage that, you know, a lot of people are still in and it's hard to do much healing, much integration when you're still being triggered or traumatized over and over and over again. So that's mm-hmm. a really important like very earth element, very just like, let's literally just get you to a space where you are physically and emotionally safe. Mm-hmm. And then once that's able to happen, starting to kind of tell your story, make sense out of things, connect with a support group, talk with a therapist, process in that more like intellectual space, that's really important too, because a lot of trauma survivors are, um, really confused about what happened it doesn't make sense they're trying to make meaning out of it find stories try to figure out like oh what did i do wrong what did i do to create this experience and there's a lot of shame guilting blaming that can become really internalized and this phase is so important for making meaning making sense out of things understanding just like explicitly what has even happened here And also, I feel like this is a stage where you get to really claim and own your victimhood. Like you get to be in that victim space and you get to like really acknowledge, I have been victimized here. I have experienced some painful stuff. And um, that that can be a really important phase. But a lot of people don't go beyond that. And then they get kind of stuck in the story. They get kind of stuck in the victimhood. They get kind of stuck in those old narratives and... um, don't always full, fully know how to go beyond that. And that's where I feel like somatic work really thrives. It's for people who are in that phase of being ready to actually integrate, being ready to meet the feelings that were way too much at the time so that they can be processed, moved through and discharged from the body so that they no longer have to be controlling these subconscious protective behaviors that keep you in protective 
mechanisms such as deflection or rage or anxiety or depression, all of these are protectors. So we don't have to judge or shame them. And once you're able to go underneath to like, what is, what's, what's being protected here? What needed protection? What needed more love? What needed more boundary? What needed like, what needed to happen in this experience that didn't actually get to happen? Once that's able to move through, then there's just a whole lot of freedom in the physical and the energy body for your energy to go toward its more natural state of fluid movement and expansion, which is Mm -hmm. also a part of being human. Contraction and trauma, this is a part of it. You know, in some traditions, they say being born is a trauma because you're going from this vast expanse of soul self to this limited tiny baby human that has a lot of needs and has a lot of limitations <laughs> and that in itself can feel like what it's the super fuck frustrating. is going on <laughs> yeah, that was my experience for sure yeah i love it <laughs> me too i have to, sometimes I'll, what will come up for me is just this like existential depression because i'm like you know when you connect more with your spiritual self and you know and you feel the possibilities and expansion being human can feel really hard it's just mm-hmm. like being human yeah. in itself is a contractive experience mm-hmm. right so yeah. we're learning how to navigate the expansions and the contractions. And I I believe that somatic therapies are so powerful in restoring that movement and that capacity to not just contract, not just identify as like the in the victimhood, not just go in toward the shadow, but also expand back out and also return to your organic wholeness mm-hmm. and being able to move through it all. That's that's the sign of health of swasta is that movement. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's so, one of the most in, intriguing things about a yoga room is is that you're walking in to a room and every unique individual, you know, who are, who is limited in that form is is working with a body that's been working for them to survive. They're all they've all survived with a pattern of behavior that they've that they've been working with and then they're trying to somehow change this generational pattern of movement that's been keeping them from dying. <laughs> and now we're going to we're going to open up our heart, we're going to open our hips, we're going to you know dig deep into our hamstrings, you know, and then like this is that's not behavior that's been working for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have you ever like had or seen students in a yoga class who are just like really agitated and irritated the whole time mm-hmm. like oh this sucks like I hate yeah. this <laughs> yeah that's yeah. my whole experience of yoga yes <laughs> that makes a lot of sense <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up that second phase of really like you know stepping into that space of recognizing that you were victimized because I think like especially when you experience um trauma at a young age, uh, you know, and this was my experience when I was uh, sexually assaulted as a teenager, I didn't really own that space at all, right? It's like skipping over that whole second stage and just moving into like suppress, like forget about it, disassociate. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. (laughs) Moving on, you know, and then you build up, like you're saying, those layers like that that toughness, right? That harder kind of um, 
shell, whether it's it's visible or not, that's a protective mechanism, right? And later on, and I, maybe this was also your experience after you were um, sexually assaulted and you had these memories of being sexually traumatized as a, as a child, um, moving back into that space where you're like, whoa, like having that, that recall or that flashback, that sort of like really sitting with that heaviness and like also the shame and also all those feelings that you didn't allow yourself to acknowledge or feel at the time can be quite like re-traumatizing almost in a sense. Do you ever work with people that where they're having these types of like realizations or, or recognitions of of things that they weren't really... Do you mean like, hey, I was just fine. I don't need to revisit this? Yeah. Or like, oh my God, I didn't realize that... This um, had happened. Yeah. I knew this had happened, but I didn't really like give it any um, importance, but it's really mm-hmm. affected me, right? Like I'm sure a lot of things come up. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Right? Right? <laughs> I mean, as you mentioned, we kind of built our whole bodies and our lives around avoiding these experiences, yeah. especially in early childhood. Because when you're five, six, even a teenager, you don't really have the skills to be with that. That's why having like em- empowering mentors and supportive people in your life is so, so important when you're young. Because on your own, like, you don't really have the nervous system capacity, the bandwidth, the skills to be with that, to understand it and to feel it. Like that's, it's really overwhelming. And so what your system does is built up a lot of walls and that might actually be like, we're going to just forget this ever happened. Literally. Like you're not going to have any memories about this. Mm. It's going to be like a cloud in between Mm -hmm. you and this experience. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I have clients later in life who have some childhood experiences emerging, a lot of the times the story is, I don't know if I can actually trust or believe that this really happened. Like I'm having these memories Mm -hmm. come up, but I'm not sure if I'm just like making it up Mm -hmm. or if this really happened because memories, especially when there's dissociation attached to them, but they're not really that reliable and they are pretty, they can be kind of cloudy anyway. And so Oftentimes what I'll I'll tell people when they're kind of grasping with like, oh, I can't, I don't know if this really happened or not, is on some level it doesn't matter because your system is saying that it did. Like you're mm-hmm. having this memory, whether it's make-believe or not, that is telling you had an experience that felt like this. Mm-hmm. Whether it like literally happened to you or it's just the way that your mind kind of made sense out of another way that you felt at that time in your life. We can just acknowledge that this is true because it's here. This is real because it's here. And so, you know, sometimes those memories are actually end up being more intergenerational. Like I've had a client and it was actually the memory of her grandmother being assaulted and not herself. That was what was coming through. And so it at some, I mean, it does matter because it's important to us and our egos to have a sense of story of like where we come from. But on the other side of things, it really doesn't matter if it's true or real because your system's showing that to you because it feels real and it feels true. And that's the most important thing. I love that. Um, 
because it's almost like the opposite of visualization, which is like a tool that I use often, like with coaching clients and even for myself, you know, like where you're positively visualizing like your day or something you want to do or, you know, whatever, if you're doing a very difficult asana, like just visualizing everything happening, you know, the way it should happen perfectly before you do it. It's a technique a lot of athletes use, you know, a lot of people who are very, very successful use visualization visualization very regularly because the mind actually can't tell the difference Mm -hmm. between what it's imagining or visualizing and reality. And what you're saying is so validating and it's so um, really resonates with me as as a, an amazing starting point is like you know it doesn't really matter like the details don't matter what matters is like your mind is giving you these signals and and that makes it real enough and mm-hmm. so sometimes like i think when people have experienced trauma or especially like later in life when they're re-remembering something and they're re-remembering an incident is trauma whether it felt like trauma or not in that moment, what you're saying is is so important is like for them now in this moment, they're recognizing that as a, as a traumatic experience or as a, you know, something that happened to them against, against what they, you know, would have wished could have mm-hmm. happened for them. And just yeah. working with that in the now, whatever's coming up, whatever's arising and like working through that without like being like, well, did that really happen? Or is that something that, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not really a debate. It's just like, this is the experience that, that is showing up for you right now. Let's, let's work with that and, and work mm-hmm. through it. How would you do that in like a somatic healing methodology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, working with that part of the mind that comes on and wants to judge things and say, like, usually that's a protective mechanism in itself. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not sure if this really happened. And that's being said because it's scared of what it means if it acknowledges it as, like, something valid, right? right. Like, ooh, like, I'm going to just kind of stay in this doubt because I don't know if I really, like, accept this mm-hmm. as it has happened or a similar feeling has happened that's going to really change my self-identity, my ego structure, and like how I look at myself, my childhood, my life. And so working with that protective part of the mind comes up quite a lot with trauma survivors, with people in general, right? We have really strong minds in our modern times and um, being able to soften that critical thinking and judgment and all of the like really rigid prefrontal cortex activity and drop more into the primal brain which is also the survival brain Mm -hmm. and the limbic system Mm -hmm. which is actually where intuitive impulses for healing come and it's less of this like well i'm feeling anxious so i think i should do some pranayama or I'm feeling a little depressed, so I think I should go on a walk. It's really like dropping in deeper than what you think you should do and into the space where your body knows what it's capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Another way to to like work with the flashback materials, which as you mentioned with visualization, it feels like it's happening again in that present moment. All yeah. of the stress hormones that happen in the initial experience, literally those are all reactivated, re-triggered. So flashbacks can be really really hard and and almost like hijack your whole system Mm -hmm. 
But one tool that I have used with people that has been really effective with flashbacks when you have like enough bandwidth to do it, because sometimes you just need to go directly toward like your life raft and and not actually work with the materials that comes up, but um, is actually using the power of visualization to change things about the memory so that your nervous system, while you can't change what actually happened, you can uh, impact how your nervous system remembers what happened. Mm -hmm. So changing like little details about the memory, like, and this could be for people who don't have flashbacks, but just have that moment in middle school that was really humiliating where it's like, you know, you think about it again and you kind of have that like cringe, like retraction. (laughs) You can use it for those too. You just think about the memory and consider all of the different aspects you can change about it until it actually feels like, oh, this was a good memory now. And doing that when flashbacks or old memory comes up can be a really powerful way just to feed your nervous system some different information. Mm. Well, I did that with with backbends, actually. (laughs) I I converted it from a death experience into a rebirth (laughs) experience. It's like, this is, I'm going to die if I do this to like, I get to do this and then it's all over. And move on. And I'm going to be expansive. I'm going to be expansive, and I'm going to not have to do it for another 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Mm. What types of what types of asanas do you use when you're working with people who have experienced trauma and they're coming to you for healing and they're looking to like, you know, move more into that expansive space and release some of that contractive like mm. closed energy. Yeah. There's two different ways that I work with asana. Mm -hmm. The first one's going to be more of like your traditional, the traditional way that you would work with them, which is like, let's get you in your body and do some movements. And Mm -hmm. um, in a trauma sensitive and nervous system informed way where we're really working with sensuality and connection to the physical present environment and safety in the body. I don't do this often in one-on-one work, but in like trauma informed group classes, we'll do more, you know, typical yoga asana but in the somatic yoga therapy process we don't really do asana in the traditional sense at all it's more sahaja asana which is intuitive spontaneous movement that comes from inside of you it doesn't Mm -hmm. come from an external source telling you lift your arms to a t bend your front knee and come into a warrior two it's more let's feel into the body what sensations are here perhaps that like closeness that you mentioned around the chest, the guardedness Mm -hmm. here, right? Mm -hmm. Like perhaps there's a bit of a tightening in the heart center. Maybe it feels really heavy and dark and maybe it naturally has your body wanting to like curl up and do this in the fetal position, right? And we let the body do that and we let the body have that full contractive experience because so much of how these patterns persist in our body come from resisting like Mm. oh it's not good for me to hunch over so I'm not going to do that right Mm -hmm. actually giving yourself and your sensory motor neurons permission conscious permission to do what they want to do to protect you that's what they need in order to release that desire to crunch in Hmm. and we can kind of pendulate back and forth between this and maybe the opposite posture which might be like just slightly lifting up maybe that feels intense enough Mm -hmm. and then coming back into a protective space and then coming into more expansion and then back to protection and then maybe we go all the way into a back bend and then maybe we come back Mm -hmm. what we're doing is that 
spanda, which is that tantric word meaning we can expand and we can contract. We can pull inward and we can get expansive. And so that's oftentimes how the movement, the asana part of somatic yoga therapy looks. And it's going to be a little bit different in each area of the body. But what we're really looking for is what what are the tissues protectively trying to do that isn't being allowed to happen? Because when we don't allow the contraction to fully happen, that neural circuitry gets stuck in a loop, mm-hmm. gets kind of numb, gets kind of cut off. This leads to like those chronic holding patterns, even mm-hmm. when like you kind of have some stress in your shoulders and you have it yeah. lifted up like here and you don't even realize that you're walking around or driving around and your shoulders are just yeah. even a little bit tight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that leads to chronic pain patterns and holding patterns, like changes in our posture. When if we could just let ourselves in that stressed out moment just be like, oh, I'm so fucking stressed right now. Like mm-hmm. if you're just really consciously let myself be tight let myself contract and then also allow myself to let that go Mm. when the body is ready for it but it really takes consciousness because so much of the trauma response is the separation of consciousness from the body Mm. it's numbness it's dissociation it's you know all of this tension there but we don't even realize that it's really there so the more you're able to work with this this is the sensory motor nervous system which is sensing and feeling your body and moving your body in a conscious way and if you can move your body while you're sensing and feeling it magic happens Mm -hmm. right and when Mm -hmm. you're allowing yourself to follow the impulses of your body when you trust your body even if your conscious mind is like i don't think this is a really good posture for me to like (laughs) walk around my life and i don't really know if i want to be here all the time if you can trust that when you go there when you acknowledge it when you embody it it's not going to stay forever in fact it's going to allow you to soften and release when you allow yourself to go toward it that's when things purely from like a physical perspective start to really shift and that's why we can like work with trauma in the body without necessarily ever having to go toward the story or the memory but what's also interesting is that when you're in this space a memory might come up Mm -hmm. an emotion might come up a feeling a, a deepening might come up from that and we just allow that to be there and to process because part of what that what's happening there is that the cellular tissues are starting to release it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, you need enough bandwidth to do this because sometimes we're in this space and the memory comes up and it triggers that feeling of like, I'm going to be stuck in this forever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I can't handle this. So we're always kind of looking to approach this heaviness, this shadow, the contractions, with enough of that sense of like, I got this, I can be with this, I can feel this, I trust myself enough to feel this. And that's what really helps things start to fully move through. Mm-hmm. We get really stuck in those moments of not trusting ourselves. Yeah. That's that's so interesting. I, I It really resonates uh, with a an exercise I did with, with school teachers. And it was really kind of like a, a magic trick what we would do is a journaling exercise. And as you said, there's the teachers tended to be so trapped in critical executive high function that if I asked them to just, to, when I would start the class, I was like, I just want a cold open. I just want everyone to start journaling for about 90 seconds. And without fail, without fail, every <laughs> single one of them made a list of things they had to do. 
And then we would do about 20 minutes of kind of fun work, breathing, you know, moving the body, shaking the limbs, centering the breath. And then I would remind them that, you know, we had done a journaling exercise before. I was like, well, let, let's go back to the journaling exercise and just turn your piece of paper over. And I want you to start writing again. And there were some hard nut cases in the room that would still want to make lists, you know, because they hadn't quite gotten out of it. But I'd say th three quarters of the room would notice dramatic changes in just their handwriting. They'd be writing about their emotions. They'd be writing about their body. They'd be, they'd be rem remembering their loved ones, thinking about um, their family. And then I would say to them, it's like, well, you know, I didn't tell you to do anything. You know, you decided, your brain decided to write a particular way given the circumstances that you're in. And it, it was like, for me, just to be able to kind of work with an audience that was hostile to me, I was really <laughs> they, they were not in, you know, walking in, not into it, but be able to, to show them right in front of them, like what they were, what their minds wanted to do given a different circumstance. It was a phenomenal exercise. And so much of what you're saying is seems to be tied into getting your body to do different things that you feel different ways and think different things. Yeah, getting out of, we get really caught in the web of the, <laughs> the thinking mind. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's this is why yoga is so powerful or going on a walk mm -hmm. or dancing. I love to dance and doing something, especially that physically is going to challenge you and physically is going to have you learning stuff, like learning a new way of moving. Right. Because that's what's going to break the head out of its habitual thinking. If you're learning like, a new asana or movement pattern. I've been really exploring. I don't know if you're familiar with Ido Portal, but he's a movement teacher. Hmm. And we have a gym uh, here in Boulder. Mark Roberts do that? Maybe. Yeah. Really fascinating, like just exploring new kind of funky ways to move mm. the body. Literally the point of it is to be confused when you're doing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, like, be like, yeah. what? Like, wait, where does my hand go? What? And like having that puzzle that your body gets yeah. to figure out and afterwards you're like oh i was really like i was really present with this because mm -hmm. i had to be and it can bring up a lot of frustration too I, i've been going to this gym with my partner and he's not he does not have a movement background he comes from the south his family was very inactive growing up and just movement has been kind of a a, a struggle point for him more so we'll go to the same class and we'll do the same experience and he'll bump up against a lot of like frustration around it and like oh, this feels so challenging this feels so hard and um but then when he has those big breakthroughs just like so much confidence comes through mm. and that feeling that like rush of like oh, i just did something really cool that took me a while to figure out that was hard that was confusing but now i know it and now i can do it really fluidly and flow through it and yeah. it's really cool to give your body that chance to take time to figure out this puzzle and then enter more of a flow state with what you're learning. Mm -hmm. Something in the cerebral part of us just kind of melts and we just become like in the body, like mm -hmm. the gym I go to, it's called Ape Co. And it's 
just like very monkey themed <laughs> like reconnecting to more of that like primal body that is just it's designed to move it's designed to swing through trees and to go into deep squats and learn how to like you know move through space in a really organic and functional way so it's really powerful to give and even like I've been teaching a beginner's yoga class and newer students who've never done yoga before it's just like mm-hmm. wait you want my arm to do what or like that moment where it's like I feel like totally lost and confused with what's happening that's so important for us to have that that's so important for us to have those moments right yeah. there's a I'm sorry there's a it reminds me of this wonderful scene in Lost in Translation <laughs> with Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson and she's really bored in the hotel and she goes uh, to a flower arrangement class and she walked in and I could see like she was totally bemused and confused by the experience because the teacher would just take a flower and put it in the stand and then point to her like, put it in the stand. <laughs> and like, and she was there as a Westerner with, you know, high critical function and faculties is like, aren't we going to talk this through a bit more? (laughs) No, this is a somatic experience. You're just in a flow state. And I'm not even going to tell you that. Mm. And that confusion is a kind of uh, punch in the face by a Zen teacher. You know, like, yeah, do. (laughs) And I'm like, be. Like, no, I'm here to kind of think this out. What what can I write something? Can I write something down to do instructions? <laughs> I always feel like that was like the thing Patabi Joyce said most yeah, when teaching. Same thing. You do. Yeah. You do. That was it. Just like That's you it. do, and you're like, stop. okay, okay, stop talking, stop thinking, thinking. stop <laughs> hesitating. <laughs> but everything you said really made me think of like a couple of things, like you know, because we practice Ashtanga yoga. And so you're doing kind of the same movements every day. So you can enter into that flow state quite easily at times, you know, cause you're just like in the moment without having to think or critically analyze or, you know, like think, what should I do now? Or, but also the idea of like putting your body in new patterns and different patterns you know, you don't really get so much of that. And I think sometimes, especially if you've experienced trauma, you need to actually do that, like you're saying, and it can be really healing. Mm-hmm. You need it so much. And you need movement that establishes establishes rhythm in the body because rhythm is so mm-hmm. healing for the nervous system. And yeah, I mean, I think for just like from a neural health perspective in general, we all can get into a bit of ruts with our movements and we like to do what we're good at and what feels good and what feels, you know, more or less useful, even if it's like physically challenging, like feels kind of comfortable because you've mastered it. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I see a lot of this in yogis where we get almost like really addicted to our yoga practice looking a particular way. And then what's what can be missing because there's a lot of benefit in that like structure and discipline and showing up and of course just the benefit of the sequence that you're going through Mm -hmm. and you're kind of missing on that chance for the mind to have 
the WTF moment. (laughs) I have no idea what I'm doing right now. I feel like a complete beginner again. I feel very humbled. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a really magical moment for your brain to actually expand, learn and grow in a deeper way. Mm Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm compulsive this way, but I, where, where in from the South is, is your partner from? (laughs) Louisiana. Is he really? What part? He is really. <laughs> from, it's from like the New Orleans area, but Hammond. Yeah. Like, kind Hammond. of no, north of Hammond. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I, was, I was, grew up in Slidell, which is quite near Hammond. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can't, I can't help myself. But <laughs> go Saints. Go Saints. <laughs> yeah, I, just a, I just had a feeling. Um, I'm also I'm I'm interested I'm intrigued by your family history as well. Um, your uh, your dad taught you yoga, and you, it says and he here continues to teach yoga. And to, to, he says here that he was a a real estate developer from out east, and then what happened to him? That's <laughs> <laughs> he's a real he's a real he's a hoot. he's a great guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's started practicing yoga in the 80s or 90s really more physically right like the home workout videos sort of stuff but richard heidelman at or um exactly rodney Rodney yeah probably rodney (laughs) yeah that's probably the the right generation yeah (laughs) or lilius Um, folan was on tv a lot at that time yeah Mm -hmm. yep so So that was doing that intro Mm -hmm. why why was he doing it he's a (laughs) He's in real estate. He's the type of guy who just loves trying new things. He's very, very active. And um, I think physically he was just curious and interested in it. Hmm. And I, I think what I find in a lot of my family members is we're all really, really drawn to self-growth and development Mm -hmm. which I don't think is common in a lot of families usually there's like one or two people and the rest aren't quite doing the work as much but my nuclear family I mean almost every single one of us is in a helping profession and doing Mm -hmm. yoga meditation and a lot of self self self-work and I think part of that has been ignited because of my dad's curiosity toward it Mm -hmm. but yeah so he started yoga with those home tapes and actually got more into meditation than yoga when we were young Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty I mean he reads like a book a day he's an avid reader he reads very quickly and absorbs a lot of information so I don't know this for sure but my feeling is that he probably read about the benefits of meditation in a book at some point right Right. made this decision like we're all gonna meditate now (laughs) (laughs) I think I was in maybe like second or third grade when he kind of instilled this very disciplined rule like you have to meditate for 10 minutes or else like (laughs) or else fill in the blank (laughs) So of course my brothers and I loved that. Like, right. Of course not. Maybe. Maybe. Your mom was also an artist. She was a painter. Right? My my mom is a painter, yeah. Oh. She um she was a stay-at-home mom with us when throughout us growing up and then went to art school when we left the house and oh, has been amazing. exploring more of her painting and reconnecting more of to her like her passions outside of motherhood and yeah. she's an amazing artist. Wow. Yeah, that's I'd incredible. Like to see her work. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You'll mm-hmm. have to send some to Russell. He's also a painter. <laughs> oh, cool. So much of of what I did, whether it was yoga or painting, came out of the the urge to to heal. And you know, I 
just kind of raw emotionality and and an, an inability to articulate needs and you know, incredibly frustrated and so painting and and yoga and drugs were just the best <laughs> way for me to kind of break out of out of those held inhibited patterns and it was so it's kind of difficult to know what to do when you when you've been healed was what I, what do you do now? Do you still do yoga? Do you still paint raw, angry paintings when you don't feel raw and angry anymore? Now, like, I'm just really happy just like uh, playing video games. I'm just, I'm just, like, I don't really need to do much else. You go and help other people. Yeah, I do. I do like to do that. Yeah. You know, bring them out of it and i've we got a dog so now we walk we've never walked before <laughs> now we're walking all the time getting <laughs> oh wow started. oh did you hear that word do you know what that word means little sweetie <laughs> she's interested. I, have, I have one last question for you because i'm curious you know people keep talking are we wrapping up the interview there's a yeah. lot more <laughs> we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk maybe a little bit more but, um, <laughs> no. you know mm. people keep talking about like the last two years of COVID being like sort of this collective trauma experience. And have you noticed um, like this, I guess, subtle held trauma showing up in people's bodies in a particular way? Or have you been working with people to kind of release some of the stuff that, you know, we haven't processed consciously even yet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of collective grief. I feel has been not fully being addressed by by everybody yet, but I think also we've still been really like in that like contractive space or a lot of people have been, a lot of people are, you know, continue to be really scared and have that like survival feeling, especially Stay for, in the cave. Yeah. 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 Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Especially if, you know, they're, they are high risk or have loved ones who are high risk and, mm -hmm. Um, I can speak from my ex own experience of getting COVID and having some long COVID issues, like yeah. just that feeling of your body being in a space of not full control or like not mm -hmm. really knowing what's going to happen with your body and also having like kind of, you know, some idea, but no, no real guidance and what to actually do about it when you're feeling sick. That mm -hmm. can feel very um, chaotic and confusing. And, you know, I've worked with people on like a lot of the stress with it but I also feel like it's still really being processed mm -hmm. and I, I think we're kind of moving into a phase where there's going to be more digestion of that experience that's able to happen but yeah. it's pretty hard for people to digest an experience that they're still in the middle of right yeah Mm, yeah yeah we're in right. the like acceptance phase right now <laughs> the, rec the recognition phase like oh that's yeah that was really difficult <laughs> or I mean, yeah. my experience is yeah. you know, exactly the same it's just stay home don't do anything <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's like a, it was like paradise honestly <laughs> And you've created something called Her Temple, and I think this is like your training program or membership. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and, and what's the essence of it? It sounds very goddessy. Yeah, so it's, mm. it's all about what we've talked about, helping women 
reclaim and reconnect to the power in the body and in the womb space that gets so fractured and severed after big or little trauma trauma experiences. It's really about coming into more of like empowerment, stepping back into your sense of self and home. I also have a program called the Somatic Alchemy Training, which is training practitioners in somatic yoga therapy, especially Mm -hmm. women who identify as like empaths and healers and want to reclaim and activate that aspect of themselves Mm -hmm. that can also like we have a lot of witch wounds that that can come up around really being in our magic and being in our healing powers and so it's a lot about healing from that and learning the somatic yoga therapy process to bring forward and into the world so that's what her her temple offers as well as a lot of other beautiful experiences for women cool this might be the the kind of thing that you would cut out um but I, I, I was thinking about this earlier today, and I was thinking about sexuality and something that you mentioned uh, about the the over cerebral, um, over executive functioning in our modern lives. Kind of uh, reminded me of it that um, I've often kind of felt uh, a little bit different from my my uh, my. Uh, my hey bro friends, my, um, my, my bros and that <laughs> sexuality for me was, um, uh, hyper cerebral and the, the ability to kind of just relax, don't do it, let the body do it <laughs> was like impossible. And it was, I had to, I've always had to imagine and fantasize that I was having sex to make me feel like I was having sex when I was having sex. And it struck me as a kind of, and uh, contradict me if I'm wrong here. <laughs> it struck me as a kind of a feminine perspective on sex, like a kind of more uh, typical manifestation of, of sexuality for, for women that it's very difficult to Im- feel embodied and embrace physicality when you're having sex because you're maybe so self-conscious. And I don't think anyone's ever felt more self-conscious having sex than I have. It's like, incre- I found it. You're like a woman trapped in a man's body. There, There's words for that. Um, there's a <laughs> gender reveal. Um, there's, um, there, yeah, it just felt incredibly alienating trying to like maneuver this other person's body and around, you know, it's just really a really weird situation. And um, Mm -hmm. I wonder if is, is that resonate with the kind of work that you do and to, to help women and and maybe boys um, (laughs) with their, (laughs) with their ability to make love. (laughs) Yeah. That's a part of it. And it sounds like, you know, what you're describing, that needing to fantasize in order to be turned on and in order to really enjoy a sexual experience, that's a um, minor, sometimes more than minor form of dissociation from the body. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even if you haven't had an overt experience of sexual trauma, the sexual layer of yourself, it's the closest layer to your subconscious. That's why sexually we see some of the weirdest stuff about ourselves. <laughs> doesn't really impact other areas of our lives, little like things that like, turn you on or your desires that you're like this is kind of kinky or it's kind of weird or like I don't know if that's like something that I actually consciously really like or would choose but what a lot of that is showing is some 
gateways or windows into the subconscious. Mm. And so working with sexuality and self-pleasure or pleasure with a partner, letting go of like perhaps even sex in general or even the need to climax, the need to orgasm, but just working with finding pleasure in the genitals, pleasure in the sexual regions of the body and subtle forms of pleasure where it doesn't have to be this, you know, oftentimes the only time we can come into our body is during the peak of orgasm because Mm -hmm. it's so intensely pleasurable. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you really, really feel a lot of sensation. But one thing to work with is like, can I just be with the pleasure of rubbing my fingertips together and have that be like mildly orgasmic and like an expansive experience. And can I do that with over my heart center, over my belly? And you can, you know, work with that, those new forms of touch, Mm -hmm. especially for women in areas in all areas of the body because women sexually like our sexual organ is the whole entire body <laughs> like mm. all of this has to do with sexuality and sensuality it's not as genitally focused as it is for a lot of men mm-hmm. but um working with you know changing how you pleasure yourself changing the ways that you have sex where it becomes less addictive and less habitual because usually neurocircuitry wise we have one way that takes us to climax and we go that route every single time right we want that you know get off we want that experience and that can be great and part of what expands your sexual capacity which is also where feminine and masculine and you know non-binary even power (laughs) resides is in the genitals it's in the womb space it's in that region of the body yeah so if you can expand how you experience and how you embody those areas that can really shift and change a lot of things but it's not abnormal to feel like really disgusted by sex or really like this is like sex is weird sex is a weird thing and if in, you're in your like it's unpleasant everyday self <laughs> yeah it can be like kind of gross or like Ooh, i'm not really sure i like this so you need the also capacity to get into your primal brain and out of the thinking mind in order to really enjoy it because yeah the primal side of us doesn't think sex is dirty wrong weird or gross it's like this is awesome i love this <laughs> totally i think that's why like so many women too like do have trouble experiencing pleasure at times because like if you're stuck in that you know prefrontal cortex where you're thinking and planning and you know especially moms with kids and like you're organizing three different schedules and you're like always just like in that executive functioning it's really hard to feel relaxed and feel at ease and feel like in your body space and like connected to your body and Mm -hmm. it's impossible to have like that pleasurable sexual experience when you're stuck in executive functioning it's just like you're just checking something off your to-do list because that's where your brain is right that's dumb Mm -hmm. versus Mm. like where if you're relaxed and you know so classic like women who are having trouble getting pregnant you know go on vacation and finally relax and feel you know sensual and feel joy and pleasure and they're not like thinking and planning and stressing out about work and all the things and then they get pregnant because their body's like actually in that relaxed receptive space whereas I think that you know sympathetic nervous system overload where you're constantly thinking all the time is you know, it's, it's important for us to learn how to get out of it as women, because it's, it's definitely a detriment to experiencing pleasure in our lives, I feel. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, like a big sexual break, right? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of 
I think especially for women, that's not across the board. Some men, many men really need this too, but Mm -hmm. you have to think about like what brings your nervous system into a space of receptivity where you can have that moment of like dropping away from the to-do list, the things you have to do, the shame around your body too. Because that's a big thing that comes up for people around sex is like, do I look weird? Is this a weird angle? Like, Mm -hmm. am I too big? Like, all of those body critiques can come up a lot as well. But being able to get into a receptive space Mm -hmm. also means creating especially the environment that you feel receptive in because from a nervous system perspective your sensory neurons need to be fed information that feels sensual or sexual or erotic in order for your brain to literally drop into that space so if you're just like you know a lot of couples like let's just do this right before bed we worked all day we're gonna (laughs) do it just because like part of the things that we have to do as a couple right right? Or at a truck stop. Or a (laughs) truck stop. (laughs) If you want to do that, then great. (laughs) So you can consider like what creates that erotic environment for you. It's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. And um, there's a a really great book called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. Have you read it? No. It's all about, I mean, it's about a lot of things, but one piece is identifying your sexual gas pedal and your sexual brakes and learning how to navigate that because we have in our nervous system the sexual excitement and then the sexual inhibition Mm -hmm. and everybody is a different compilation of like some people have way stronger brakes like Mm -hmm. they're very sensitive to environment to what's going on in life to stress and Mm-hmm. If there's any like tiny break, it's not going to be sexually conducive. Right. Right. Have really strong gas pedals where it's like any small thing is going to be sexually exciting. And <laughs> yeah. um, it doesn't take as much effort and work to really, really get turned on. Right. And everybody's kind of a different compilation of that, of those yeah. two factors. So exploring like where you're at with that and what you need in order to like turn the brakes off and turn the gas pedal on can help you drop into more forms of like embodied pleasure and um, sensuality and adapting, you know, factors of your lifestyle, your environment, stress levels to support sexuality can be really life-changing because especially for women, we've been kind of forced to like, where it's like a a square peg being forced into a round (laughs) hole where we kind of have to like bend and shift shaped and try to like, force ourselves to fit into this sexual narrative that's very male dominated mm-hmm. dominated very male focused and not inclusive of of the erotic feminine which or is even very per- very different or even performative yeah totally yeah yep can be very performative yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah especially with so so many so much media coming at these young people that is is uh, all made for television you know, it's sexuality made to be viewed, which is very different from sexuality. Mm-hmm. I like what yep. you were saying too about like getting into like the subtlety of the, you know, erotic touch even, yeah. you know, with yourself or your partner um, because because that's like intimacy, right? That creates a deeper sense of intimacy. And sometimes I think that's like that's like a really sexy part of sex is the intimacy. <laughs> and, and it's yep. sometimes the thing that, that we don't um, 
have time for if you're like, you know, a busy mom running around trying to fit yeah. everything in, you know? No, not at all. Because intimacy yeah. takes like a little bit of time. You kind of got to slow down to be present. And and it's mm-hmm. everything that you're talking about, which is like being in that embodied state rather stuck in the head, sort of disassociating from your body a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sexuality aside, your ability to be with the erotic and the sensual, that is one of the most important things for your nervous system and for trauma healing. Like mm-hmm. that's oftentimes one area that we start with is can you just be with sensual pleasure in this moment? Like, cause a lot of us are really looped into circuitry that's resistant toward receiving anything that feels good, whether that be a, a nice visual or a plant that you can look at or a mm-hmm. sunset or a song that you really love. And you just let yourself like, Oh, listen to that song and feel it in your every cell. I know like yeah. music for me is a huge one or tastes like a, mm. a piece of chocolate and you just like take a moment and let it melt over your tongue and feel all of the different layers and textures and tones to the flavors and mm-hmm. touch. Like, can I just rub my palms together and feel the sensation or aromatherapy, right? Yeah. All of these different ways that we actually literally feed our sens- sensory nervous system information that not only are you safe, but things are pretty good. Right. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, right? Like, yeah. oh, like that softens you into more receptivity. And over time, these are like the tantric micro practices that mm-hmm. are talked about from the tantric perspective. It's like doing those little tiny sensual drop-ins throughout your day, even if it's just 30 seconds, I'm just going to for 30 seconds be with the sensation between my palms and really be with it. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's what rewires. That, oh, that also it. for me ties back into the start of our conversation about MDMA. Yeah. Cause that was my main takeaway from that experience is how deeply uh, ecstatic or, um, sexy or sensual little micro sensations were like the feelings of your fingertips. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I had many experiences where uh, a friend and and I, male or female, would just hold hands or lie in a hammock together. And it'd be deeply romantic and sensual and, and sexually satisfying with just that, with no desire to take off our clothes, no desire to get our genitals out, (laughs) just lying in a hammock and cuddling, deeply satisfying, physically empowering and Mm -hmm. and, uh, vulnerable uh, positions or experiences to have. Yeah. And that's what a, a lot of people are missing in their sex lives too, is that deeper drop into intimacy and, mm. and sensuality. Like you mm. mentioned earlier, a lot of us will fantasize or need to watch porn or have um, just like need the vibrator mm-hmm. in order to have an orgasm. A lot of women can't have orgasms at all. Like, yeah. cause we're mm-hmm. so in our heads. Yeah. And yeah. That, is one of the really cool like parts of MDMA is the sensuality component, but that's also like, can we access that like goosebump sort of pleasure even in the moments outside mm-hmm. of those experiences? That's the brain training. That's yeah. hard because your mind has to slow down enough to feel and receive, mm-hmm. which is the exact opposite of what we're used to. 
Yeah. Right. Mine likes to go very, very fast. And usually we don't like to slow down because that means we have to confront feeling. <laughs> and mm-hmm. feeling yeah. can feel really good, right? Like the texture of you touching yourself, but feeling can also feel challenging mm-hmm. and bring you into like some of what you've probably been avoiding through thinking and um, dissociating. And mm-hmm. our, yeah, our sexuality holds so much mm-hmm. and we can work with just that aspect of the self and every other area of life is going to radically change. Wow. You just work with your sexuality. Yeah. That's so powerful. I just feel like what you said there is just so powerful like that. And and something like really valuable that people can like take into their day and into their lives. Like just slow down and like just really be with like the senses, be with the feeling, you know, even mm-hmm. if it's just for 30 seconds. Like I feel like that could be so healing you know, to even process things like we were talking about, you know, over the last couple of years that people have been going through, maybe suppressing some of the fear or anxiety or the emotions or the grief and just allowing yourself to like be present to that, that sensation, whatever that sensation might be, whether it's a taste or a smell or touch or sight Mm -hmm. and just like slow down enough to feel the feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, just to, on a on a meta level, or just to to pull back the the blinds for blinds or the drapes, what did the Wizard curtain, of Oz do? Curtain. The curtain, pull back the curtain, <laughs> or pull back the curtain for our listeners. <clears throat> this is a very intimate experience for Harmony and I when we do the podcast, because what we do we like for whatever reason <laughs> we share headphones. And I don't know why we do that because there are splitters out there and they're very good headphones we can both use. We could sit across the table from each other. But instead what we do is we skid in as close as possible as we can. We snuggle in, we put our headphones in and then over the course of an hour and a half, like we stroke each other's fingers the entire time. And as we go deeper and deeper into the, into the conversation, we're more loving towards each other. And mm. and the when we're like kind of struggling with a with a conversation, like we're not like touching each other as much. <laughs> and it's it's um, just to say it's 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 sex, but it's also you know not climax oriented. <laughs> it's just lovemaking. Mm-hmm. It's the exchange of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which is what sex really is. That yeah. it's an exchange. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The sex is a lot more than just the physical act of having like a penetration, which is mm. how you know we often yeah know, yeah society think of sex is like oh it means penetration, and if it's not that, then we didn't have sex. Right. But, yeah. There are there are a lot of other ways to do that energy exchange with your partner or partners that create a sexual and erotic, a sensual experience that create that sense of like, because what sex is doing on the most conscious sense is union. Mm-hmm. It's bringing two into one. Yeah. Where, you know, in the tantric perspective and the spiritual side of sexuality is I no longer separate myself from you at all. Mm. We're both, we're both just now in this energy flow. We're being in this connection to, yeah, the divine mm. through pleasure through giving and receiving energy and pleasure and connection and intimacy and whatever it is that fuels that sexual moment for you, which can be a whole array of different energies. That's part of what the potential is to bring you closer to the divine 
through pleasure. And when you're, you know, doing self-pleasure, which can also like, this is self-pleasure, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. just stroking your forearm, that is self-pleasure. That also can be a portal of you connecting more deeply with yourself and the God mm-hmm. in you. That's what pleasure does. And in yeah. the higher practices, what I've been really loving to explore is, can I experience the pleasure of the things that I don't like feeling? Can I experience the pleasure of that's my rage tra- and my sadness? Right. Can I weave that it, the most expansive energy, which is sexual or sensual pleasure, that is the most expansive space. Can I weave that into my contractive energies and bring a little bit more breath and expansion into those areas where I usually just like completely shut down? Yeah. Can you feel pleasure in the shadow? Can you extract what feels good about it? I try to tell that That's to people lovely. about playing football is that it <laughs> is one of the most ecstatically pleasurable experiences to hit the shit out of somebody. <laughs> and, to get, and to get the crap beat out of you. Too. Yes, you have to like that too. Yeah. Or it's you don't you won't enjoy the game as much. Kinky. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Who knew? Everyone's gonna watch football in a whole new way now. No, no, you have to you gotta be you gotta play the game. You gotta play the game. Go there There's a hit. great book you might enjoy that's called Existential Kink. That oh. is just about what we're talking about. It's it's been one of the most life changing books I've ever read. I love it. Existential wow. kink. That sounds mm-hmm. great. Love to look that okay, up. we have so many good book we recommendations. Some homework. <laughs> homework. And, yes. and if people wanted to to get a hold of you and maybe they're interested in exploring some of these deeper feelings that they're they might be having, um, how could how could people get in touch with you and to work with you? So my website's a great space to see all of the things going on it's just her temple healing.com on there i have a um, vagus nerve free series which is oh. six practices to help tone the vagus nerve it's nice. one of the like kind of first stages to Beautiful. really increasing bandwidth in the nervous system the so that's a little goody nerve. yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we love talking about the vagus nerve we didn't we even touch do. upon it <laughs> our, our so vagus nerve was being about. activated the whole time yeah. it was very expensive <laughs> it has been <laughs> Yeah, so Great. you can head to the website and you can read about more about the training. We also have an online community and a, a little intro six-week online course. There's a lot of resources on there. And I also am pretty active on my Instagram page, which is just at her.temple.healing. So you can follow me and we can connect there too. Great. Amazing. Yeah, yes. at her.temple.healing. And we'll put it all in the show notes also so people awesome. can find it. I'm holding a dog that would like to connect to her feelings. <laughs> right. <laughs> very <So> interested <laughs> in self-pleasure in this moment. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being our very first guest yeah. on our podcast <laughs> that was recommended from an outside source. Mm. And it was such an enjoyable and it most was pleasurable really conversation. It was very, yeah. very much a pleasure yeah. to get to know Same. you and to meet you. Yeah, it was yeah, wonderful. Thanks for your playfulness oh, and, and sweetness <laughs> and just like spontaneity oh, too with the conversation. Yeah, it's been fun. It was great. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you'd like to learn more about the vagus nerve and how it works to help you switch from your sympathetic, your fight or flight response into a more parasympathetic, arrest and digest state, then don't 
way to sign up for my five-day ancient breathing challenge where we are going to talk about how the vagus nerve helps to create more resiliency within our nervous system and allows us to experience more pleasure, more relaxation, and more embodiment, and how yoga practices and different breathwork practices can really be used to enhance our connection and strengthen our vagal tone. So come into my five-day ancient breathing challenge. I look forward to seeing you there. We start this Thursday, September 8th. And it's going to be really, really good. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a hard wind and the soil.